My guest today is Mr. Fui Gnema, an financial analyst at Barrage Capital in Montreal. He has worked in recent years for two major Canadian fund manufacturers, he's a Concordia University graduate, and he has passed all three levels of the CFA program and may be awarded the charter upon completion of his required, for the required work experience. The question that he wanted to tackle today is, is value investing dead? Yeah, you heard right. <laughs> so we had a lot of fun discussing it and I hope you'll enjoy the interview as much as I had. So I'm here today with uh, Fui. Is that right? I yes. pronounced it correctly. F perfect. You have a very easy name to uh, to write and to and to remember. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you are a passionate of Warren Buffett, and you you trickled me with that question. You said I want to do a podcast on the title would be Is Value Investing Dead? Yes. Are you dead serious? I'm dead serious about that question, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> so you say that because the, the father of what we call today value investing is uh, Benjamin Graham. Yes. You know him. Yes. You have read many books about him. I've read The Intelligent Investor, yes. Of course you have. <laughs> And how uh, can you just help us understand how he was valuing uh, the companies? Okay, so uh, Benjamin Graham was valuing companies mainly based on the value of their hard assets. He's famous for this formula called the net-net formula, which is the current assets uh, with, some, right, with some slight discounts minus all the liabilities and trying to buy stocks at two-thirds of this value. The thinking is that if you can buy a stock at two-thirds of this value, you get all the non-current assets for free. And um, this was, I guess he's mainly known for this, for this formula. And the first book he wrote, we know The Intelligent Investor was yes. written in 1949, but he wrote one before that. Yes, which was Security Analysis in, in the 30s, I think. In 1934, the exactly. first edition. So it was during the big recession? It yes, was, so I guess the Great Depression was 29 to 33, so he, he was kind of a, a child of that Great Depression. During that time, um, a lot of things were selling for liquidation value, a lot of things were depressed. So uh, granted, it goes with, it, it, it makes sense that he would write that book in that time. And the wealthiest people in the world were people who owned, had assets like Rockefellers or, or, or what have you. Oil and steel. Oil and steel, believe it or not. Exactly. All right. So the context was depression. The context was hard asset. And we did not even utter the word, not even internet at that time, but uh, the, the computer was not even, I would say, invented or in, it was in its infancy. Yes. So nothing of that sort existed. Yes. All right. And what about Buffett and Munger? Munger and Buffett, they, it was a second coming of, of Graham in a in certain way. Exactly. So Buffett was a st obviously a student of Graham and um, he, I guess, kind of led the evolution of value investing from the Graham net-net to maybe focusing on intangibles and, and, and brands. And um, I, people say that if he had never met Manga, he wouldn't have come to this conclusion early enough. Um, maybe not not completely true, but I would say Manga had a huge influence on him. And um, they have, they are, the, the big purchase that is connected to them is the first fully owned business that they purchased using this philosophy was Seize Candy. 
and Seas Candy was this confectionery company and, and still is in the west coast of the United States that has great mindset and a great brand and they purchased it for I believe 25 million and uh, Manga says um, they would not have even budged for, to pay a little bit more and they, they, and they would have been dumb for not doing this and um, what they would do is every year after the Christmas, Christmas period they would just hike up prices um, they wouldn't have to invest that much capital and it's just money in the bank. It was a perfect company because not capital intensive, Yes. repeat business, great margins, great taste. Yes. I have had the chance to test them because I went two times at Buffett's uh, meeting. meeting and oh, wow. I've bought, of course. They, I, I, so how does Seas Candy it taste? Is comp it, it, it tastes absolutely marvelous. How is the pre Charlie's peanut brittle? <laughs> I haven't touched that one, but because I'm not the chocolate fan, but I had, you know, knowing the story of uh, Seas and Buffett and stuff, and it has made them, I don't know, it's millions and millions of dollars. All the profits from Seas, they reinvested in other companies. Yeah. Because it was a cash cow. Yeah, you're right. So in the 2011 letter, I believe Buffett says Seas had, had brought $1.65 billion of profits over the years. And of course, this has helped fund all the other great businesses they own. Incredible. And what about his position in Coca-Cola? Yeah, so Seas was fully owned, but it inspired the purchase in Coca-Cola in 1988, where they purchased, where they were almost buying all the trade and volume for almost a full year, and they established a, a billion-dollar position. It wasn't uh, nearly as cheap. I, I can't recall the numbers to a T, but I think it was about 15 times earnings and five times book. So it, was, it, it, it wasn't a typical Graham net net situation. They had, this was kind of like the, uh, the completion of their evolution. And as you know, Coca-Cola has got probably one of the most recognizable brands in the world. It's connected to all these great events like the Olympics. There's the famous ad of Marilyn Monroe drinking Coca-Cola. It, of course, has great mindshare. And I guess that was kind of the further evolution of the philosophy. Yeah, because fine times, the books, we are way uh, uh, far away from uh, Benjamin Graham uh, at that time. At five times, the books, 15 times or not that much, it's not a bargain. Yes. But five times, the books, that, that goes to say that there is a lot of value that was not uh, into the buildings or any plant yes. or any type of... But they, and Buffett has, uh, he always is drinking Coke every yes. time. And he says, at one point, he, he said, you give me $1 billion and the 50 of the brightest men in the world, and I will not be able to compete, yeah. to start a company to compete with Coke. Yeah, and it's funny you pointed out the value was not in the, bil in the buildings, but I always say the value was in our minds. Exactly, <laughs> because you talk about mind share. Speaking of mind yeah. share, uh, because you, by your argument about value investing, is it dead right now? We are in a world where we have Facebook, Uber, Airbnb, we have Google, and all those things, they are like, uh, I would say, concepts. They are living in our iPhones and stuff around, but it's nothing you can touch. So how, in this day and age, can we do value investing like Buffett did in the past? Or how, how do we value those companies? Yeah, so uh, I would like to talk about, I, I think, a, a, a concept that I think is at the middle of what's happening right now, and it's the idea of zero marginal cost. 
So first, maybe I'll, I'll give you a little bit of background on what the marginal cost is and then we can go into zero marginal cost. So marginal cost is the idea that to service the next good or to service the next good, you, you, have, you, you have a cost to service the next customer. So I'll give you an example. To, for Ford to make the next car, there's material and labor attached to that. The idea of zero marginal cost is that to service the nth customer, there's no there's no extra cost to that. There's, uh, there's of course there's of course a cost to everything, but at a much lower level than maybe in the old economy. So that's the basic idea behind zero marginal cost. I understand it because my, the first idea that came to mind is when you go on the Google page. Google is a big company. Yes. And for for Google to have they have I think three billion queries per day. On their servers, yes. Uh, the three billions and one. Let's say I go on Google and search. I don't. I don't cost them much. Yes. But they can serve me an additional ad. So I will click on the ad maybe and give them some money because of the ad. But the cost of serving me or of of giving me the research exactly will be up close to nothing. So so that's a great example. So so Google uh, they have extremely complex algorithm and really expensive data center centers but once that's built in they just the next click is is saving you you me and you so much money and it's not costing them that much and just to add to google google now have a a, a cloud business and this is also another idea of zero marginal cost data data centers are expensive but to serve the nth business on that data center does not cost google so much so Maybe a big upfront cost, but you will be reaping benefits of that for a long time. That's what Jeff Bezos thought when he, he, he built a, a Amazon Web Service yes. about 10 years ago. Yes. And From scratch, because he had all that computing power, but he had to scale up. But he understood that scaling up, he, he was having extra, uh, not extraordinary, but he was having extra computing power and, you know, There, yes. there is no cost. So, so they had a lot of slack in their business and um, they decided, they, they realized that they could sell this to other people. And um, unfortunately, Google was not as quick to, to, to this business as Amazon was. But um, they are catching up. We think them. that they, they are slowly catching up, fastly catching up. And I would think that maybe Apple would do that too and maybe Facebook because they are the big, they are the big people using or buying all those computers. Or yeah, so I, I think they, I, I, my, my understanding is that Apple, Apple, Apple will do this but for the people, for their users. So the, if you're XYZ company outside their ecosystem, they might not try yeah. to service you. But iCloud is, for instance, is servicing all their users. So you're right uh, to a, a, cer a certain, extent. certain extent. But okay, so I, I think everybody will understand that part because we all have iPhones, not iPhones, but we all have smartphones right now. Yes. We all use all those apps and, and all those Candy Crush or all those apps. Yeah. And, We understand that it's like air, and uh, if you are a thousand or ten thousand, it does not cost much. That I understand. Now the financial part. Okay. Uh, how do you value, let's say, a Facebook, a Google, an Amazon, all those companies? The how how can we value those companies right now if we want? Because I, I'm coming back to your argument: is value investing that? Can we put value investing into those companies? Can we use value investing? Um, yes. Yeah, so without going to specific, into specific numbers, I would say the idea, taking it back, is that 
the value of any enterprise it's the is the present value of its future cash flows from today into forever so when you think about this businesses do not think so much about the the huge capital expenditures they are making today but how many people they are going to serve on top of that capacity from now and in, into infinity so they might not look they might not meet your perfect value metrics but if you look at like if you look at all the slack that they are building up and all the potential that the, that the businesses are building up for today into the future you can maybe get a you can maybe come to some estimate of intrinsic value i like the fact that you say some so <laughs> yeah that's the, uh, the, the i think that's the big the big pickle the big question right now is how do you do you uh, in the, when you look in the future, at one point Microsoft was dominant. Yes. And then it went into almost oblivion, not oblivion, but it went, it was the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth company. Now it's coming back with a vengeance right now. Yes. Very much so. They have made, a, so I would say that, is that the president or the CEO or the visionary that makes a great deal of a difference? Because for me, all those big decisions comes to yes spending the money but even if you have the billions if you don't spend it right you will not have do you do you yeah. put some value into the the ceo or the person that... microsoft is a great example because satya nadella is the ceo right now he's he's a tech person and he's, he's got he's probably a visionary mind uh, no offense to steve Ballmer, who was the ceo before that but He had a, a bit more of a sales background yeah, and um, he was a good steward, but uh, he did not have that visionary uh, take. That's my point. So, so you, because Microsoft, I, I think Microsoft is a good example because for me, I was counting them out. They, were, they, they tried with the Windows phone and it was not going well and now they have made a big shift. And uh, I look at the valuation of the market and they're very much there. And I think the great part of it is because of the CEO. So do you, when you go value investing, do you think a Buffett will, will look into the company itself or he will put great emphasis onto the, uh, the person that's running the company? Um, I, I, I think uh, this is another good point because um, a lot of people, folk, when they talk about Buffett, focus on how much of a great capital allocator he is. But I think he's also quite good at picking management. Uh, for instance, when he bought C's, um, I don't, I believe it was Chuck Huggins, who was maybe not a CEO at the time, but they, he, they interviewed him and Manga interviewed him personally and then hired him. So he's made very great personnel decisions throughout his career, but we focus on the capital allocation. So I actually don't think it's that much different from what he was doing. He, he's, he's been doing over the course of his career. So that you, you would say that value investing in certain point is just not numbers. Yes, it's, it's, it's just not the numbers. Um, we, are, we are now making our, we are looking, eventually we, we, we want the numbers and we want the free cash flows, but we are slowly evolving from, um, from a, a Graham type model to it's very capital light. People and management matter a lot more. Uh, we are kind of slowly, as the, as, as the concept evolves, so to the things we, look, we, we have to look at. Yeah, because we are more, before, because 100 years ago, uh, 150 years ago, if you want to, to produce any goods, you have to have land in yes. a factory. Yeah. Right now, a kid in a dorm with a great head can hack into the FBI and can create, create an app 
and with the great scalability it can become let's say instagram for example when uh, facebook they bought instagram it was just out of the market for not, not many long and they bought it for uh, one billion dollar and they say today it's, it's worth maybe a hundred billion dollars and instagram was just an app back then yes and it's scaled yeah and I, and i and um to to uh, to give you another example of instagram so Uh, so Instagram is a, a good example of this idea of zero marginal cost, very scalable. But even if you break it down in a more granular level, look at the people on Instagram. Instagram is creating influencers with millions of followers. These people are kind of like one-man ad agencies. They maybe promote a, a good on their Instagram profile. I just read a recent Forbes story about Kylie Jenner, who has a 10-person um makeup line that's worth several hundred million dollars and so the zero marginal cost at the company level and it's literally down to the individuals on the platform it the zero marginal cost you mean yeah you can be on that platform with no cost and do great great things exactly and just to add we are here recording a podcast you have probably had some marginal cost for this <laughs> equipment but yeah. you after this you're going to upload it and um yeah. It has global distribution immediately. Absolutely. It'll be on Spotify, iTunes, uh, iHeartRadio, TuneIn. Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. <laughs> so uh, at the end of, of that, the, to answer your, your, your question you were asking me, is it value investing? Then you think that we can still apply value investing today? You think that we, uh, what do you think is uh, from the Benjamin Graham yeah. era, Buffett era, and to this era that we are right now? Yeah. How do you? Yeah, so uh, can I read you a quote that I took down? Of course, it's written down and it's in front of you, so go yeah. ahead. Yeah, so from <laughs> last year's um, yeah. 2017 Berkshire Hathaway annual yeah. meeting, uh, Buffett said this, which I think stood out. Uh, so it goes, I, and, and I quote, I believe that probably the five largest American companies by market cap, they have a market value of over $2.5 trillion. And if you take those five companies... Essentially, you could run them with no equity capital at all. So, end quote. So even the master is acknowledging what's happening in the world and he's learning. So maybe value investing, it might be growing up and going through a little bit of an identity crisis right now. <laughs> but it's, it's, a lot, it's, still, it's more alive than it's, than it's ever been. All in right. my humble opinion. No, it's, it's great. I, I think, and I like the, the fact that the zero marginal costs and stuff like that, and we have to adapt. And the fact that you say, yeah, because even me, you know, I've been written the book on Buffett and stuff, and I have been studying the master that you say. And even me, I've gone through identity crisis in myself, looking at those stocks. <laughs> and what do I believe in? What do I invest in? Why will I buy that or this or that? So it's, 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 uh, uh, we are in a new world. Yes. And it's different than 2000 and 2001 because it's a real new world right now. It, Very 2001, much so. it was more a mirage. Right now, it's more reality because I think what changed all it was the Wi-Fi and the phone because of the portability of the internet and the consumption. Yes. It changed everything, I would yeah. say. It, yeah. Uh, so, yes, I will, so we, uh, we will t keep in touch and do some other uh, podcasts, I hope. Okay. Here at Barrage, I'm a fixture here, so I, uh, yeah. I will continue to do so. I, so you're new at Barrage, you're new uh, financial analyst, yeah? Yes, yeah, so um, I'm an analyst at Barrage. Over here, my role is to help with some content, to assist with some of the administrative tasks. And if the guys need any help on research, uh, assist with a little bit of that too.
I'm sure you'll be great. You told me that you have passed your three CFA exams. Yes, so I've passed all the three so, exams and hopefully I'll meet the experience uh, requirements here at Barrage. All right, and you're, yeah, you will have your earn your, CFA, your CPA. It's not, it's not yeah. CPA. We don't want to mix those two. They're not, no, they don't no, mix. No, they don't no, mix. No. <laughs> <laughs> we need accounting, but we are not accountants. We are not the same crowd. Eh? Yes. Absolutely. So I wish you the best and I wish that we will meet again in 2019 for another English podcast. Yes, yes. Thanks for your presence. Thank Thanks, Pierre Luc, for having me, and it's been great uh, being on your program. Here you have it. Value investing is alive and well, and uh, woof. <laughs> it was never uh, threatened, but it was fun. It was a fun discussion to have. It's uh, always agreeable and fun to discuss with people that have passion about that subject. At Barrage Capital, they are very, very focused, of course, and they're very dedicated to value investing. And Fui, their, their, new, their new hire, is, uh, is a proof of that. Thanks for listening until the end. My name is Pierre-Luc Poulain. If you want to write to me, I am on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn especially. You can write me there, comments, subjects. If you want to come on the podcast, it would be a pleasure for me. As you can hear in my voice, I like interviewing people and I like to laugh and I like to talk about the stuff that matters. I hope you have learned a couple of things today and I wish to see you soon on my podcast and to hear from you. Have a great day. Have a great time. Bye.